Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you are of the generous sort, you can be like Ben, Janet, Robin, Garrett, John, and Jerry, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or a one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and even face masks on our Teespring store, if you feel inclined. Make sure to check it out. Our guest today is marine biologist Caitlin Bate. Having obtained a Bachelor of Science in Marine Biology and a Certificate in Environmental Impact Assessment, as well as completing an Honors and Co-op through Dalhousie University, Caitlin has continued in ocean and fishery science through her role with the Ocean Tracking Network. As the Field Operations and Data Acquisition Coordinator at OTN, Caitlin is able to make use of her expertise in teaching and completing acoustic telemetry data management analysis and equipment maintenance. For over seven years, she's held this multi-departmental role that allows her to work in the field and at sea, as well as manage data for OTN's growing network, though she also finds the time to teach our programming workshops in her community. Today, we're lucky to have her here with us to chat about OTN and what an organization like this means for fishery science. So welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. I really appreciate that you could take the time to join me today and chat a bit about your work, especially with the Ocean Tracking Network. Thank you for having me. So I'm wondering, first off, if you can give a bit of an overview of the technology that you folks at OTN use. There's tags, receivers, and transceivers, but what do each of them do and what's the difference between them? So for biologging or animal telemetry or general like animal movement studies, uh, there's all kinds of different technology that can be used. On land, these can be things like radio tags that transmit a little radio signal so you can track the animals around. Um, But in the ocean, um, radio signals don't uh, transmit and satellite uh, signals don't connect very well um, unless the animal is something that comes to the surface. So underwater, um, the best tracking technology that we have for these kinds of animals that don't come up to the surface, so so the fishes, um, is acoustic telemetry. So this is a very similar idea where um, all the animals are outfitted with a transmitter. So it emits a little bit of a sound. It makes a unique ping code that comes off of each animal. And then as it's swimming around and pinging, it might swim by a receiver station, which are the listening devices that are deployed in the ocean, listening for these transmitters. And if one of those tagged uh, animals swims around a listening station, the listening station will record the unique um, tag number of that animal. So we get to uh, go back and download the data and we get to find out which animal was where and when and which animals visited our station together and which ones visited this um, our listening station at different times. And you can come up with some really cool conclusions and kind of track migratory pathways of fish as they move through all the listening stations on the coast and things like that. So the Ocean Tracking Network really focuses on uh, managing acoustic telemetry data Uh, because it's really set on um, having those listening stations in the water. Because if you can't afford for your study to cover the entire ocean and listening stations, uh, which is something completely reasonable, uh, your fish will probably swim out of your study area. 
And now you're reliant on the listening stations of your partners. Uh, and hopefully your partners will tell you about um, any detections that they have of your uh, tagged fish. So it is a very collaborative technology. It really relies on data sharing with your neighbors. Otherwise, um, you're really only getting a small subset of the picture of where your animals are going. So that's kind of um, why networks like the Ocean Tracking Network are uh, a little bit more required for this type of tracking, because um, it really is important to share uh, data and detections in order to get the most out of this type of technology. Um, so you asked also about transceivers, which is a type of listening station that transmits and receives. So that's what where the word transceiver comes from. So those can be used um, where you put a listening station down and the listening station is also pinging. And so the listening stations can hear each other. Uh, and so they can actually be used to triangulate uh, direct locations of where the uh, fish are located in really fine scale. So that those are kind of more advanced technologies that are used for um, particular environments and particular study goals where you're looking for um, your transceivers to talk to each other uh, and to calculate um, the ranges between them and that kind of thing. Um, and it's really cool. Some people put transceivers on animals. So large animals can actually carry a transceiver, things like turtles or large sharks or seals. And so that seal is swimming around listening for other fish, but also transmitting its own ping code. Uh, so it can be detected uh, if it visits listening stations. So there's really cool combinations of these technology that can be used. Uh, and that is generally what we focus on uh, at the Ocean Tracking Network is most focus on acoustics. That is so interesting. It's so cool that there could be a shark or a turtle around that is a mobile listening station. That's really interesting. We see that off the coast of Nova Scotia with um, some seals that carry these, which is really exciting. That's awesome. So if I'm correct, there are a multitude of species that OTN tracks, tags, and monitors, kind of like seals, sharks, and turtles, I think we just mentioned. Could you speak a bit to the range of data that you see and what animals you gather it from? Yeah, so generally, um, anything that moves can be tagged with this technology. Uh, things like marine mammals that are a little bit more noise sensitive and have a hearing range in the same range as these tags transmit aren't uh, tagged as often. Uh, they also come to the surface more often, so you can use other technologies like satellite-based uh, technologies. Um, so it's mostly fish and invertebrates uh, that we see tagged. It's really interesting to see the tagging methods used for like lobsters, um, where you have to basically glue the tag onto the outside of the lobster, or small fish where they will surgically implant the tags inside them. Uh, we see sea turtle tagging, um, large sharks and small sharks. Uh, there's a lot of interest in salmonids in Canada on both coasts. So we see a lot of salmon tags uh, on both coasts uh, going out every year. And one project that's really interesting is at Dalhousie University, we have a longstanding blue shark tagging project that is in association with a lot of the uh, field courses and undergraduate seaside courses at Dalhousie. Um, so every year, I think since 2014 or something, um, we've gone out with uh, a class of students or, or a couple classes of students and tagged some blue sharks uh, off Nova Scotia with 10-year battery life tags. 
so we get to see where the the blue sharks are going. That's a really, really cool um, project. But um, yeah, there's really, really no limit. I see people finding new things to tag all the time. I think we've seen um, penguins tagged uh, around the world, um, things like uh, crocodiles or um, uh, whelk, which are basically like sea snails <laughs> uh, and urchins and things like that. So they don't have to move fast or far uh, for this technology to work, but it's really uh, interesting to see the new ideas people come up with every day and the new species people are targeting for um, their research and able to leverage acoustic telemetry to help them. That's really cool. It's nice too that you folks at OTN are able to teach other students and people that are interested in this technology through Dalhousie. It must be nice to get that field component as well. I took those courses in my undergrad as well. So it was a really nice overlap um, and really exciting to be able to see the other side of it. <laughs> a little full circle moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like what you said about collaboration too, especially where animals within certain studies swim out of study spaces. And it's really important to have those pathways of communication open. And I believe OTN has quite a far reach with partners and collaborators from around the world, right? Yeah, so we are a global ocean and inland waters kind of data platform, data sharing platform. So we have collaborators in the Great Lakes, collaborators in Australia, South Africa, uh, down in Peru and through Europe as well. So we like to support and see research all over the world. So as a researcher, specifically on the hunt for some data myself, I'm curious as to how scientists and researchers can get involved with OTN, whether that be to contribute or to receive data. Right. So if you're a researcher who uh, participates in acoustic tracking and has uh, or wants to start acoustic tracking, we have uh, an equipment loaner program where we will loan out the listening stations uh, for people who um, can't purchase their own or who would like to, per uh, to be able to expand their listening array for their project. So we do support a lot of research with equipment loans, which you can find information about on our data portal website, which is members.oceantrack.org. Um, we also support researchers who don't need to loan equipment. They have their own project going and they're feeling good about it. They just have to um, submit their records to OTN and register to become a, a partner in the database. And then they will be have full access to um, sharing their detections around as they please, which is really exciting. For people who are just looking to receive data who maybe do not participate in tracking themselves, we have a data privacy policy that limits the some of the the sharing. So people who own uh, or people who deploy tags, they own the detections of those tags, basically. So that is their like uh, intellectual property. Um, so at this point, researcher permission is required to share those publicly unless the researcher has um, already made their data set public, which is quite uh, becoming way more common. So we do have uh, quite a few public data sets uh, from OTN that end up getting published to OBIS which is the um, Ocean Biodiversity Information System. Uh, and that is the big kind of a data clearinghouse for public data. But otherwise, if you're someone just looking for uh, information about tagged animals, we can connect you with the correct researchers and you guys can start uh, your collaboration on that. But uh, information that's always public includes station locations and um, maps on our website and, and a bunch of uh, summary information is, is always available. 
uh, which is really useful for people to kind of scope out what they might need to ask for for their project. For sure. That is wicked cool. I had no idea about the equipment loaning program and especially like the connections that OTN can facilitate for researchers. It's really cool that you folks are sort of facilitating an increased accessibility of this work, which I think is cool. I've seen a lot in my very young scientific career, um, studies limited by access to funds and different funding programs and scholarships. And I think it's really cool that there are people out there working to sort of mitigate those barriers for the people that are trying to do really cool and really informative work. And regarding the public, I know we talked a little bit about public access to data and such, but I'm wondering how with your unique position of working in the field and also getting behind computer screens and actually going through this data and seeing, you know, numbers and movement patterns, how open do you find people in the public are to this sort of technology? I know there's been some stories around some labs that I've worked in of people being really nervous about like tracking human movements or like government spying and such with like transceivers that have flashing red lights. So I'm wondering if you have a really positive relationship with the public who are interested in sort of the work that you're doing or if sort of education on initiatives like this are sort of an issue that you think we need to tackle more. I find generally it's pretty well received by the public when we do outreach events. Um, I think people are really intrigued by the idea of like tracking animals and finding out where they're going. I think it's a really interesting topic for a lot of people, especially in the ocean, because we can't see what's going on down there. So to find out that perhaps there was a shark that was visiting the beach uh, outside your house is super exciting to people. And they would have no idea that that was there and anything was happening. And I find it a really like attainable scientific field to like understand for um, the general public because you can provide maps and we see a lot of like animations that kind of show um, the fish swimming between the listening stations. And it's like a very visual type of science where you can see where the animal is going. And I think it translates really well to um, a lot of public outreach. There is uh, concerns sometimes in the fishing community, um, worrying about uh, finding their, you know, secret fishing spots or their hotspots, or, you know, if we end up lowering the, you know, in, if this science is used to inform management and fishing quotas are reduced or something like that. But generally, um, most people are, are quite receptive to this as a, a concept and quite excited to see results from it presented, especially in, in visual ways. Um, is really exciting to people. Yeah, it's come up a few times in my interviews for the podcast, the sort of personification that can be allowed by this technology, like you said, putting a little graphic representation of the track of a shark around off the coast of Nova Scotia or naming the shark. Sometimes there's like Twitter accounts. I use sharks because that one seems to be the most popular in terms of like tracking apps for the public lately. But I think that's a cool new facet that technology has sort of allowed into public engagement with science, which is cool. It's a cool educational tool. And I think it's nice to involve general public in research sites and the work that's being done. So I'm also wondering about career opportunities with OTN and how to stay informed regarding any potential employment opportunities. So we just launched our new website uh, within the last few months, which has been completely overhauled, which is really exciting. And so there is now a um, like a, an, a job opportunities section on our um, news website, which is oceantrackingnetwork.org. And that is the best place to look for postings. We hire, so we, we're a grant paid organization. 
And so we just got renewed for the next several years, which is really exciting. And uh, with that, we've had a, a several new postings in the last few months. And there is uh, new budgets and things like that. So that would be where um, you could keep an eye for like full-time positions. We also hire interns and co-ops pretty regularly from uh, the NSCC uh, Ocean Technology Program. We hire uh, interns as well as co-op students from Dalhousie and Mount St. Vincent University. Uh, and that those would be in uh, the marine biology field, computer science, we hire communication students as well um, as ocean technology students. Um, so those would be posted like within the department uh, uh, that those students are located in. Um, but otherwise, the, the full-time ones will uh, be shared as well on our um, social media, our website, and in our newsletter. Uh, and you can subscribe to our newsletter right on our oceantrackingnetwork.org website as well. Just in case you're not checking back regularly, you can get the, the notifications directly to your email about upcoming careers. I really love the interdisciplinarity too, as a side note, just on the hiring of interns. I think a lot of people that aren't actively working in this field or pursuing education that's directly related to like marine management or fishery science sort of don't realize the opportunities that exist for them. So communication students, marketing, computer science, it's really interesting to hear active recruitment for those roles in marine and ocean sector jobs. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, we have uh, several departments at the Ocean Tracking Network, including a large uh, communications department, a really large data management department. It's our biggest department, actually, as well as our uh, like finance manager and we have a uh, field team, things like that. So it's not all just, you know, hardcore uh, direct scientists with PhDs. It's a lot of interdisciplinary collaborators kind of coming together to make this organization run smoothly. <laughs> So along that sort of same vein of career development and aspirations, I guess, I'm wondering with your diverse array of experiences and expertise regarding technology and teaching and the coordination that you do within your current role, as well as your experience working co-op, doing it honors and graduating from Dalhousie, if you could share a little bit of professional development advice with students in my position, for example, or other undergrads that are looking to eventually end up with a role in marine science or the ocean sector in some capacity. I would definitely recommend expanding your skill set outside of the hard sciences. Um, so I wish, for example, during undergrad, I had taken more, uh, ever, I feel like a lot of people say this, more stats and more coding courses because I, the picture I had in my mind of a professional marine biologist was somebody who like went diving every day and like I forgot the other half of it where you have to analyze your data, I guess. <laughs> and honestly, data management is extremely important as well as expanding skill set in visual design. So like learning things like Inkscape or Canva and being able to make graphics is really, really valuable and uh, project management experience is huge. So if you could take a project management course, a lot of these things are available for like online courses or, or a weekend or something like that. Um, and you get a little certification. I think that that is really what's missing. And you'll see it in a lot of um, departments where all the staff are hard scientists. A lot of the time the gaps are in the management and they have to end up hiring a, a lab manager or someone after the fact when things start to get a little bit crazy. So having those skills already will, I think, 
um, kind of set you up ahead of the game for like practical workplace environments where you will need more skills than just being a biologist. <laughs> it's cool that you mentioned Canva as well. And going back to that visualization of data and graphical representations, a lot of places I find things on Twitter, in different newsletters, sometimes in journals where researchers are using graphical abstracts now either in addition to kind of in-text or prose abstracts or as a replacement to those, which I think is so cool. And it's just another way, I guess, that, like you said, those skills come into play and things become more accessible. I think it's a lot um, easier on the eyes and sort of easier to understand and draw connections between different concepts, for me at least, to see it represented visually. Uh, It's a lot more engaging that way than just reading a block of text, in my opinion. So it's really cool to see that. Yeah, being a good scientist includes um, making sure that you can communicate your science effectively. So understanding that the the other side of it and the the graphical design or just the public speaking or just any sort of interaction with the speaking about your science to uh, non-scientific audiences, it brings in a lot more opportunities for awareness on your topic, which can bring in more funding for your project. And you'll see like a lot of the most successful projects are ones that are, have a really good either social media following or just really good communication skills uh, from the leads to that project. Uh, so it, it is a, quite important, I think, in this field to develop those skills as you're coming through your, your education. So I saw Twitter blow up a while back, I think in the fall, about the Ocean Tracking Network Symposium, I think. Do you folks normally have events like this? And is it possible for students to attend? Right. Yeah. So um, events that OTN hosts, we do have our annual symposium. We had one last fall. There was the schedules gotten a little wonky because of there was a few years of COVID. We had a, um, a virtual symposium at one point as well. But these are completely free to attend uh, the OTN uh, annual symposium. And it is free to attend. Anyone can submit an abstract to it. So students can present. We actually encourage it for presentations, for poster sessions, and then just general attendance as well. Anyone who is interested in the field, uh, learning more, can sign up uh, and come to the, these sessions. This past fall was, I think, three or four days long and had panels and poster sessions and plenary speakers, science, uh, quick science talks, as well as uh, workshops and things like that tacked onto it. And it's uh, really exciting. It's free to attend and I recommend signing up for it. So that's something that would be announced as well in our newsletter and our website uh, when registration for things like that would open. Uh, we don't always have other conferences on our schedule that we are the hosts of. So sometimes we'll do workshops at Dalhousie uh, for coding or for acoustic telemetry um, that we are the hosts of, and we would announce those as well. A lot of the time we kind of assist with other people's events. So we will uh, attend as instructors for another workshop and we'll support the the other organization by providing our teaching expertise. But a lot of the times we're not in charge of registration for those ones. Um, So we'll often share the links, but um, in terms of who's allowed to register uh, for those, uh, it often depends on the host organization. Um, But anything we run uh, locally will be free and students can definitely come and we'd love to hear from them. So are the R workshops that you typically run sort of falling into that second grouping of you lend your expertise as an instructor and the event is run by someone else? Because I think I need to probably brush up on my skills soon. (laughs) Yeah, so it it depends. We have in the past hosted our own 
um, intro to R, just like basic programming workshops. Um, we've also hosted um, intro to R for telemetry specifically, so specific R packages for um, researchers who use acoustic telemetry. Uh, but uh, generally, we teach workshops at other conferences, so not locally, um, and they would be upon request by the host. So if they're saying like, we'd love to have a workshop off the back of our our annual meeting, uh, we know OTN is going to attend the annual meeting, can OTN teach the workshop? And we uh, have a suite of curricula that we have developed that we can uh, quickly kind of throw together and teach for these kinds of things. Um, so generally when I'm teaching our workshops, it's for other people's events. Uh, we have in the past hosted them for our own purposes, but often uh, it, it's something that we really want to be kind of at the forefront of what we do, but kind of comes secondary when we're already so busy. Um, but if somebody, if there's a need for it and we have an audience who has asked for a workshop, we will host it. It's just difficult to kind of find the space in the calendar and then hope people show up. But if that is, if there's a group of, of people who virtually or in person are looking for something like this, that's kind of more what we respond to is kind of upon request <laughs> workshops. And uh, then we can, you know, take on a lot of the organizing and everything ourselves, as long as we know that there's an, an audience for us. <laughs> that's really interesting. It's so cool to hear about all the different stuff that you folks do. The Ocean Tracking Network name sort of lends itself mostly to being involved strictly in sort of tracking processes and projects, but it's really cool to hear about all the ways that people can get involved with OTN, even if they aren't a PI or even if they aren't running their own telemetry project already. So I'm also really curious regarding your position in fieldwork, especially as the dialogue around things like harassment and safety concerns in academia and in research, excuse me, more broadly continues to open up. As I'm sure you're well aware, this discipline can be very male dominated. And even in my young career, I've experienced some stressful, demeaning and straight up dangerous moments while just trying to do my job. And I'm wondering if you can speak to any advice that you may have for other individuals, including women like me, for whom safety and respect in the field may be concerns or at least sort of on the radar. Yeah, so that is a really important point. I am really fortunate at the Ocean Tracking Network. We have a I think predominantly female staff, including in our field team. We have uh, at this point, uh, I think more female field technicians than male uh, or equal. So we show up to field work with perhaps we've chartered a vessel um, that is like a fishing vessel. Generally, we'll show up uh, as uh, a group with multiple women and they understand that we've hired them. And uh, it is quite respectful, the, the captains and everything that we've chartered in the past. But we recognize that we're quite fortunate with this. So my recommendation to kind of ensure your own safety for these kinds of situations is to make sure that you know that you don't have to get on a boat that you don't feel safe on. If you show up to the wharf and the, the captain is making lewd comments, you can just go home and if you have to pay for that day in ship time and your boss is mad at you, it's fine. You've set your boundary. We don't hire that captain again. And that will kind of set the precedent. So don't be afraid to stand your ground. It can be quite intimidating, especially if these kinds of things have already been like paid for, like someone's already decided that we have to work with this partner on this day. You don't sacrifice your safety to make your field plans kind of happen. If you need to do your field work on a different day or with like, you know, figure out new plans, 
I, I really recommend prioritizing your safety and, and making that very clear from the beginning um, so that those boundaries are there in your workplace, um, as well as if you are contracting out any external partners, um, making sure that they understand that that's not acceptable immediately. It can be quite scary to be at sea uh, alone with a, a fully male crew, but I've been lucky in, in our experiences with, with the crews that we've hired. Uh, so just making sure that you maybe chat with them before you get on. And if you get bad vibes, don't get on the boat. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think especially in my experience with other young professionals or sometimes it's people that are newly hired to positions that are eager to make an impression or even sometimes there's not a pressure from employers. It's more of a self-imposed pressure of I need to do this work. I'm going to get it done. Let's just survive this weekend. Let's just survive this day at sea. We'll get through it. Everything's going to be okay. But I think it's really valuable to hear a professional in the field and another woman say, field plan, not as important as safety. You're allowed to say no. You're allowed to draw that line in the sand. And really, that's paramount. And I think it's really unfortunate because I've used this language as well, that we're lucky to not have had that experience or we're fortunate to not have had bad experiences. But honestly, in my opinion, at least, that should be absolutely the precedent. It shouldn't be like that we're fortunate to have really good experiences at work. Um, so thank you for sort of venturing into that side of the conversation with me. I appreciate that. So as a final question from me before we move on to the fisheries podcast final five, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for young professionals in general who are trying to get specifically into data management and telemetry and tracking in the marine environment. I know we talked more broadly about getting into a job in sort of the ocean sector, but I know a lot of your passion and experience lies specifically with sort of the ins and outs of actual acoustic telemetry and tracking. So I'm wondering if you can share any more about that, especially for people like me who have worked kind of adjacent to this technology, but might want to get more involved with doing so. Yeah. So there is a weekly study hall session that OTN hosts, which is basically just an open Zoom room um, with a bunch of professionals, whoever wants to show up that day, I guess, uh, from around the world. And it's basically like an open chat room once a week on Thursday afternoons. And it is completely open for people to come and ask questions about data management or acoustic telemetry or uh, R coding just generally. If that is a little bit intimidating, I recommend kind of trying to come to some of the outreach events or workshops or symposium, for example, hosted by organizations in your region that work on this kind of data. So locally in Halifax or uh, in regions where OTN visits the conferences a lot, you can come to OTN sponsored outreach events and things like that. But often there is like research programs uh, in a university in the area that will potentially be having uh, outreach events or open houses, or maybe they have a social media page you can follow and just kind of keep up on what they're doing and, and go check out their um, booth at a, at a conference or whatever's going on uh, and just learn more about what's happening in your area. Because there is, I find out all the time about new projects in areas that I had no idea where people were tracking and it's really exciting. So I, I grew up in Ontario um, and so my cottage is on the Great Lakes and I grew up swimming there every year. And now um, I go to the Great Lakes Acu um, Acoustic Telemetry 
conference. Uh, the GLaDOS group has an annual meeting and I get to hear about the people who are literally tracking fish in like the bay outside my cottage. And I had no idea that was happening. So kind of finding the people working in your area and chatting with them and seeing if you can get involved. A lot of these places um, or a lot of these organizations really like having field support. <laughs> so people who can go on boats and help with stuff or help in the lab um, with cleaning off receivers that are covered in ocean muck or whatever. Um, so you can get you can get involved in, an, in a number of ways through volunteering and, and meeting your local organizations. Awesome. It sounds like a good opportunity for citizen science as well, which is really cool. So now we get to hear your final five, a group of five last questions that each guest who joins us here on the fisheries pod get asked. So the first one, I always say nice and easy, but for a lot of people, this is incredibly difficult. What is your favorite fish? This is a pretty difficult question because <laughs> there are some really weird fish out there. Um, but I really like lumpfish. There is nothing cuter to me than a lumpfish. I don't know why. They're so cool. I think I would cry if I saw one uh, in the wild because they, they are around here. I've, I know people, divers have seen them sometimes, but they're just really, really cute looking. I don't know. There's some more maybe biologically important species, but they, uh, they please me the most. <laughs> yeah, they are adorable. I'm not the first person to say lumpfish. Nice. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Very popular fish. What is your favorite memory from your career so far? Oh, man. I really liked, so in, in 2019, there was um, the last International Conference of Fish Telemetry, ICFT, uh, and these are a biannual conference. There's actually another one in a couple months, but the one in 2019 was in Norway, and it was my first time attending this conference. And it's just, it's a week long of people who just do acoustic telemetry uh, from all over the world, just chatting about fish and having a great time. And that was one of the best um, trips that I've been on and one, one of the most kind of rewarding experiences for meeting collaborators and making connections. And the environment there was just really warm and welcoming. And I really, really enjoyed that that meeting. That was a really good memory. That's really awesome. Are you attending the upcoming conference as well? I am. That one's in, in France in a month or so. So I'm heading to that one as well. I'm very excited. <laughs> yes, well, safe travels. And I hope it's just as good as the last one was. So this is also a fun question for me to ask because for a lot of people, they're already doing it. But what is your dream job? That's really hard. I've I've thought about it because I'm still quite young and like it's like, well, OK, well, what's next for career moves? And I don't have any good ideas. Uh, I would like to kind of continue where I'm at. I really like the the data management and field work overlap. I'm not particularly interested in working in academia in the future. Um, so I really like this kind of academic adjacent support role industry that I'm in, um, being able to support other research and be involved indirectly in other research uh, is quite rewarding without having to be in the kind of toxic academia cycle. So if it, it would be something very similar, I'm very happy at OTN right now. So it's it, I have no specific directions, but it would be in a very, very similar role, probably. It was so cool learning about all the things that you do and all the different projects that you sort of have a hand in. It sounds like there's no two days that are exactly alike, which I'm really drawn to. And the interdisciplinarity of your job seems really cool. I think that's a really appealing thing. And I think it's more emergent now 
in like current positions in the marine sector, which excites me because I'm not a person that can sit at a desk all day or do the same thing every day. So the cool blend of field work and collaboration and outreach and data management that you do is really cool. Yeah, I really like learning about other people's projects as well. I like to say that I really like my job because I'm super nosy. <laughs> so I like want to know everything that everyone's doing and what they're working on. And I want to have my hands in all the pots all the time. And that is exactly what I get to do in my role. I get to see a lot of international projects and read their you know, project descriptions and help them with their data management. And so instead of um, academic life where you focus on one specific thing really hard, I get to look at everything all the time, <laughs> just a little bit of everything, um, but it's very satisfying and I'm always learning new stuff and I, I find it extremely rewarding. I was gonna say that sounds incredibly rewarding. That's awesome. If money was not an issue, what is a project that you would love to work on? I think there's some deep sea research for animal tracking that would be really, really interesting. Um, it is a money concern because uh, instruments that are rated to that deep either don't exist or if they do exist are prototypes or quite expensive or, or things like that. So thing, so animals like uh, snailfish and like some of the really weird deep sea stuff, I think having tracking information at the bottom of the ocean would be really, really neat to see where, where things are going. That, I think that's a future direction that uh, the field is moving, but at this point is limited by budget and, and feasibility for sure. <laughs> Some days I just randomly remember that we know collectively more about space than we do about the deep ocean still in 2023. And I'm just like, holy, like, the things that we find yeah. out. <laughs> and finally, if there was one point or principle that you would like listeners to take away from hearing you speak today, what would that be? Um, I would really like people to kind of understand that the Ocean Tracking Network is, and organizations like the Ocean Tracking Network who do this kind of research, are really there to facilitate the best science possible from our users. So whether that's by helping train um, HQP or, or uh, early career researchers, it's helping uh, projects by loaning equipment to support them, or by just uh, helping with data management and data sharing and data publication. I think relying on organizations like this can only make science better. Um, and collaboration really makes everything uh, run smoother and gives way more opportunities uh, than you could potentially have on your own. So come out of your uh, little research shell if you're really focused on one topic and see if there's anyone in the field who could help you uh, in another organization and, and share data with them and, and collaborate. And it just, it just makes science so much better. So Caitlin, thank you again for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure to learn more about your work and how to get involved with OTN. If people want to learn more about you and what you do, how should they go about doing so? So um, you can check out the Ocean Tracking Network website. Um, so we have two websites. We have our data portal, which is members.oceantrack.org. And we have our uh, news site, which is oceantrackingnetwork.org. The news site will have more uh, high-level information, some articles, some summaries of some of the cool projects we do, as well as contact information for me directly. Um, and the data portal website will show you all of the projects that we are currently uh, managing data for and uh, allow you to explore a little bit more about what's going on there. Um, and otherwise, please subscribe to the newsletter. <laughs> I was going to say, I have to remember to do that as soon as we hang up on this call. 
<laughs> if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or through old fashioned email at feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, you can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream us from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or thefisheriespodcast.com. Don't forget that you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some of our Fisheries Podcast merch available on Teespring. I'm Reed Sutherland. Thank you for listening to the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, collaboration equals opportunities. Mm-hmm.